Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Stripped by Sia. I am your host, Steph Sia, aka Kimchi. At this point, a former exotic dancer, digital content creator, and many other things. I am presenting to you this week a bonus episode. So last month, uh, oh my gosh, not last month, in August actually, I was asked to be a part of the Sugar and Spice Festival in Singapore, which centers around sex work, sex education, and all those wonderful things that we don't necessarily get to talk about. And as you may have heard of in the season two opener, um, Singapore is quite conservative. So it was really interesting speaking to this audience and not only limited to those who reside in Singapore, but also those um, mostly in Asia. That's what their demographic was. So this is my first, I mean, this wasn't intentional, um, but this is the first kind of long form podcast episode that I've done with a few of my past guests as well as some of my upcoming guests in future episodes. So we have Naomi Weiss, who was on season one. We have uh, Jolene Salonga, aka Pocket Phoenix, who is in a few of my episodes as well. Um, you also have Joanne Santos from the Philippines, who will be on next week's episode. And Salome Salvi from the Philippines as well, who's going to be on the show, um, I think at the end of the month or in November. So This is really cool because this is an all-Filipino and all-female panel that we got to speak on. And we were speaking on being the token Asian, contrasting the differences in terms of sex work and how we're treated, how it's looked at in both a North American context versus an Asian context. So uh, Salome and Joanne, they're actually based in the Philippines and... Naomi, Jolene, and myself are obviously based here in North America in the wonderful West Coast in Vancouver. So things are done a little bit differently here and there. And it's really, really interesting to see and hear the differing experiences that we all shared in the realm of sex work. So bear with me. I was recording at 1 o'clock in the morning till about 3 a.m. Pacific Standard Time (laughs) to meet the 4 p.m. Singapore time. Um, It was my first time moderating the panel, and I am extremely honored that they had asked me to do this and be a part of this wonderful organization and festival. Can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much, Martha Lee, who is the organizer of Sugar and Spice. Thank you again. It's a huge, huge, huge honor. And to Joanne Santos, who is the one who nominated me to be a part of the festival. Thank you. And don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe. Write a pretty little review for me on Apple Podcasts. I would very, very much appreciate that. And if you have any questions, it's Strip by Sia on Instagram or my personal Sia Steph. And again, new episodes every single Sunday. We'll catch you guys next week. Enjoy the bonus episode. Set up. Thanks for joining us. Sorry, a couple minutes late here, but welcome to the Token Asian. We're talking race and sex work today. I am Steph Sia, aka Kimchi, aka your moderator today, aka host of the podcast Script by Sia up here in Canada. It's one o'clock in the morning here. It's way past my bedtime. Jolene's bedtime, Naomi's bedtime. <laughs> but we're up because we want to talk to you about this really important topic in Asian culture. So um, yeah, 
this is the Sugar and Spice Sex Festival. Thank you again, Martha. Thank you again to all the organizers for putting on this really important conference. It's um, sex is something that is considered as taboo, is considered maybe full of shame, something that we don't necessarily talk about or are not comfortable talking about in Asian culture. So we're going to be dissecting that in the lens of specifically Filipino culture and also within sex work within uh, Canada, also sex work within in the Philippines as well, how to navigate around that. So really comparing and contrasting North American standards, Filipino standards, how our race and our upbringing, our values, our history, colonialism, all of that, how that, impa how that impacts our sex work. And I am not alone doing this, and thank God I'm not alone doing this because it's just scary and I can't talk for that long. But joining me on the panel today, we have Jolene Salonga, who is from Canada, born in the Philippines here. She is a digital creator. She is a stripper. She is a sugar baby. New escort. Am I missing anything? <laughs> no. I got, no. Yeah. We, we could definitely get into that. But um, we have Jolene Salonga joining us. We also have Naomi Weiss also joining us from Canada as well. Um, she is also a stripper, um, a vocalist, very talented artist, movement, Pilates instructor. <laughs> Lots of titles here as well. And then we also have uh, our newest addition, actually, Salome Salvi, all the way from the Philippines. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Again, another, <laughs> hi. <laughs> and another fellow sex worker as well, um, mainly, I, I want to say, mainly with the OnlyFans, uh, digital content creation videos, clips for sale, many vids, avian stars, stuff like that. So we're going to get into it. Um, who wants to start with the introduction first? I guess maybe we want to go in order, uh, just so we can get a bit of an introduction in your own words, on your own terms. Jolene, did you want to start? Okay. Um, so the gateway drug for me uh, to sex work is actually burlesque. So I started in the burlesque community. I've been doing it for many years. And then I transitioned to be becoming a stripper. So I've been <laughs> I've been a stripper for two years now. And then, um, like before the pandemic kicked in, I actually was getting mentored by one of the high-end companion, um, like the escorts here in Vancouver, Canada. And then the pandemic kicked in, so that took a hold. And I decided. I, I, I did a digital content creation, so I'm also on many vids, OnlyFans, um, all the all the online, you know, Pornhub. <laughs> so I mean, all the places. And then uh, after the pandemic, I continued my mentorship with my uh, with my escort mentor, and um, so it's just uh, last month that I started becoming a high-end companion and also oh actually uh uh in march i was also not really sugar i guess i i guess sugar sugar babying yeah just because i you was were. i yeah i was yeah more like tricks you know so i i had like 
um, super fans from the strip club who wanted to hang out with me. And I'm like, well, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, Naomi, did you want to go next? Do you want to tell the audience a bit about yourself, your background, your history, everything, whatever you want to tell? <laughs> sure. Here goes. I am Naomi Weiss. I am a Filipina Canadian. I was born in Canada. I was raised here for my whole life. I live in Vancouver now. I started stripping in 2015 after I went to music school. I was like, I need a job. Like, what do I do? What do I like to do? So I like to dance. So I decided to be a stripper. And then through stripping, I've dabbled in other various forms of sex work. And it's also kind of allowed me to have, you know, more of an opportunity to, to explore my artistic practice. Right now in the pandemic, I'm mostly teaching movement and Pilates and, uh, you know, different type of fitness. But if it wasn't for stripping and sex work, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Also, I just feel like I didn't really know what I signed up for when I was starting in stripping. I was like, okay, I'll just do this for money. But I ended up learning so much about how to relate to people. And it's been really cool and interesting. So I'm really proud to be a sex worker. I'm proud of everything that it's been, everything that it's given me, I guess. Yay. Yay. So that's me. <laughs> That's a wonderful introduction. He said it way better than I could have done. So. <laughs> and last but not least, Salami Salvi, all the way from Philippines. Please tell the audience who you are, your bundle of joy, <laughs> bundle of energy. <laughs> Please, uh, go ahead. Uh, hi, hello. Um, so my name is Salami. I started, um, I started, I guess like my journey with sex work started when I um, when I first discovered that I was an exhibitionist because I started posting nudes on Twitter initially for free. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> for free for two years. I did that. Uh, I was on Twitter just posting nudes for fun for two years, and and then that's how I discovered that I really like modeling. So I branched out into nude modeling for print and you know for amateur photographers. But I moved, um, I guess I've been doing it professionally for a few months since I moved into OnlyFans. Um, so that's where I moved my practice. So before sex work, I work as, I work usually as a copywriter and as a social media manager for different companies. Um, so I was able to really marry that with my, um, with my modeling and with my sex work when I moved into platforms like OnlyFans and Is My Girl and many vids, which is where you can see my work. So my username is the same on all, on all platforms. Um, it's Salome Salvi. So yeah, um, that, that's, my, that's my history <laughs> as a sex worker, I guess. Um, awesome. I've also done a bit of escorting on the side, but that wasn't very successful for me because like, my domain really is, is online and being a virtual sex worker. Um, and selling content. So that's my forte. <laughs> Very cool. Short and sweet. Thank you for the intro there. And I guess if you guys were curious about who I am, who the hell are you? Uh, basically, I'm also a sex worker as well. So um, again, my name is Steph Sia, aka Kimchi. 
Sia Steph on Instagram and also Strip by Sia on Instagram. My podcast is uh, about sex workers. Also, I am a sex worker as well. So my journey, I started off as a sugar baby. Um, <laughs> and of course, not really knowing what I was getting myself into, you know, not knowing the difference between salt daddies and splendid daddies and fake daddies out there, not sure how to navigate that. It's real. <laughs> Even to this day, it's real. So it's uh, been really interesting. But then I started pole dancing for sports, but also to get in touch with um, my sensual side. And then also kind of realized I was an exhibitionist as well and started stripping because I was doing some pole dancing competitions and I really didn't have any stage presence and I was like I'm just gonna do a couple amateur nights and then I realized I really like getting naked in front of everyone so <laughs> started my stripping journey and then I guess now doing OnlyFans, I've done my free cams as well. I've done a lot of different sex work and I really enjoy it. And I also really enjoy um, educating people and um, trying to destigmatize the industry, which is what my podcast is about. I usually interview uh, many different types of sex workers, many different gender identities, BIPOC, uh, you name it. It's, everyone's on my podcast, everyone on this panel is and will be on the podcast. <laughs> so Lame, I'm looking at you. So that's just a little about me, but I'm not gonna make this panel about me at all. I really want for us to go in deep with the conversation of sex work within the Asian lens, what that looks like, how that differs, but it's always rooted in something. So we're gonna start off in the beginning of time with the Filipino roots. <laughs> so uh, I myself am born in Canada. So there's a big, big, big history of colonialism in the Philippines. Of course, as you know, colonized by the Spaniards. Um, lots of different themes here with whiteness. Also uh, different layers in terms of religion, like Christianity, uh, Catholicism. Um, lots of conversations and avenues about that I uh, feel like in terms of those who are born in the Philippines Jolene uh, Salome did you guys want to kind of go into that <laughs> it's a much different approach than uh, us born in Canada so who wants to take it off <laughs> I can start um, so uh, when I was in the Philippines I actually went to a French ran, French nun ran convent school assumption. I don't know if uh, Joanne it rings a bell. <laughs> I'm assumptionista. So um, I remembered when we were learning the history of the Philippines, how um, like there was just a lot of like like oh, I see the right word like patronizing patronizing whiteness and then there's um just like patronizing whiteness patronizing uh catholicism and then um those who are in like the muslim and pagan beliefs were kind of villainized in in the his historical context um, or they were never acknowledged at all like i think the only person who got acknowledged in the history who was pagan was lapu-lapu and he he's the only one out of the Catholic context that was recognized. Um, 
Yeah, and then, oh my God, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to get my brains out right now, you guys. <laughs> like, ah, Going down memory lane. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I remembered um, learning um, Jose Rizal, you know, like uh-huh. um, that novel. Um, where I'm, which is where my name comes from, actually. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. oh my God! Yeah, I'm trying to remember for Sarizal, like El Filibusterismo and Noli Metangere. <laughs> like dissecting that and like how um, I know Sarizal has a reputation of also trying to um, call out the BS of, you know. Yeah, the hypocrisy. <laughs> the hypocrisy of like the colonizers, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the brainwashing, and then the, um, you know, there's like the character Maria Clara, so everyone was expected to be that certain, like, even, like, I don't know if it's like in general how the Spaniards did it, but then we were expected to be a Mar- Maria Clara, where we're supposed to be this prim, proper, good girls, you know, fully yeah. clothed, nice, you know, like, mm-mm-mm. you know, or constantly <laughs> serving like the men and, you know, the priests, and I don't right. know. Right. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's so, a lot there. Salome, do you have something yeah, to add there as well? Yeah, like, there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack because um, I, I like, this is a very broad stroke, but before we were colonized by the Spaniards and then by the Americans and then by the Japanese mm-hmm. um, afterwards. And we were actually also colonized by the British for like five years. So we, we oh have a history as a country of being passed from one, col- um, from one colonial power to another. And mm-hmm. before all of that happened, our society was structured very differently in that we were actually, um, that equality between the sexes is recognized. And when the, the Spaniards like came in and brought in the influences of the Catholic Church, where, you know, like, where the ideas about marriage and work and, you know, raising a family is very patriarchal, like, our society changed with that as well. Like we used to have um, women in positions of power in, in you know, in in our society when we were subscribing to the native ideal. Um, but so so you know, like women were high priestesses. We were um, we we were social political leaders um, before right. the Spaniards came, and then you know when when they brought in the, you know that Catholic Christian influence that kind of got eradicated and, you know, got replaced with a very Western patriarchal kind of, kind of structure. So, and that definitely continued like with the other, um, with the other colonizers that we got, um, you know, we were sold off to the Americans, um, um, soon before World War II. And so, yeah, that's, I, I feel like that's where a lot of the colorist and a lot of sexist ideals that we still have in the Philippines, that's where it all comes from. Um, right. So yeah. So those are the things that we grapple with right now as yeah. sex as women. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> it's it's that's rough. <laughs> like, we're diving right in. It's very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> How does that uh, affect your perspective growing up, and even in your work today? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the colonialism. 
all the things that are related to that, as you mentioned, colorism, classism, patriarchy. Yeah, uh, yeah like I, like, I, like, um, like Jolene and like Joyan. <laughs> I was actually like from a all girls Catholic school run by nuns. It's very <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so, a thing. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's a thing. Like those wow. like girls from those schools grow up to be like the horniest. Like honestly, <laughs> because of the repression. Um, so so that has shaped my like initial initial ideas about sex and about sex work you know like i used to think that, like i used to think that oh i would never i would never be that kind of girl you know like because i'm smart i'm gonna be in you know i'm gonna be in a respectable job and i'm not gonna be like popular girls like stuff like that like it's gonna right. make you grow up with that kind of um with that kind of mindset and with the colorism as well uh like Especially, like, I, I know that all of the girls here who grew up in the Philippines would say that, you know, like, we are kind of taught from a very early age to hate our skin because, right. because we, were we were taught that the only thing that's desirable is that if you're a chinita, which is, you know, like, if you're East Asian and you have fair skin, and, or if you're mestiza, um, which is, you know, like, if you have, like, uh, Caucasian features. So, and, yes. you know, that is reflected everywhere, like, in, in, in media. So it's very oppressive. So, you know, like, I have a, have a lot of bones to pick. A lot of, I have a lot of chips on my shoulder with that kind of stuff. So Totally. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot there. <laughs> I was seeing oh. some of the comments there. <laughs> the, the papaya soap. Even I yeah, know no, that. I, 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 oh laugh, I, I laughed at that when I saw the Likas papaya. So I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> are so triggering to me. I used to, like, do you guys know Max Appeal? What's it's that? This, it's no. this, white, it's What's this that? whitening astringent that makes your skin peel off, and then when it peels off, it's whiter. Oh, it's my really God. It's really painful, but it's, like, it's like so chemical popular peel. in the Philippines. And I oh used to God. put that all over my body as a kid, and I'm like, girl, baby. Like, oh, my hurt. God. <laughs> I don't know if I did the maxi pill. Maybe it was maxi pill. It's called. But I remember going to the dermatologist as a kid, and then like getting um whatever the bleaching thing that hurts yeah. like a motherfucker. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then I would just yeah. I have to stay in the air conditioning for like five minutes because I'm like oh I'm burning. But yeah, I'm gonna be white. <laughs> you know, because you have oh. to like leave it in overnight or something. I don't. I yeah. Don't know. <laughs> And you're like literally shedding like a skin, like a, a snake. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. god. It's so That's bad. <laughs> so just like well, if you guys are not, if you guys are listening and you're like, what the hell are you guys talking about? <laughs> the papaya soaps and all these peels and stuff like that is to make your skin whiter, and that is seen as like your higher class. You know, mm -hmm. you're not working in the fields. <laughs> you're not beneath yeah. them. And, and I feel like that whole colorism um, kind of concept or that lens still exists to this day. I know you guys are making comments earlier too in terms of um, a lot of the, the role models, a lot of the well-known and very famous actors and actresses in the Philippines are white or half-white or westernized in some way. Like, I'm, yeah, so I would say it, it still kind of rings true. Like, do you say that 
would you agree or maybe you don't agree that that's also playing a role in sex work too with colorism or maybe not i think so but you go, you guys go first i've been talking too much <laughs> <laughs> don't be shy <laughs> Yeah, I remembered when I was in the Philippines, I was bleaching my skin. But now here, I'm, I'm actually going to the tanning salon. <laughs> to accentuate so my, to accentuate my olive skin because yeah, I get I, I think with color co- colorism, um, like the colorism here is opposite. Like you know, like my clientele yeah. prefers like like they like my olive skin and you know. Mm-hmm. So. People pay to get tans like us, right? Uh, yeah. Completely <laughs> yeah. different. I, I, I feel different. so bad. That I, I feel so bad that I realized that so late that my skin color is coveted, you know, yeah. in, in other parts of the world. But, you know, you won't feel that here at all. No. And why don't we switch the flip here? So let's talk about um, in terms of Canada. So both myself and Naomi grew up in Canada. Um, how do you think our upbringings were here <laughs> as Filipinos, but it's different. <laughs> it's so different. Oh my gosh. But I feel like I have a really, like, I can't speak for you or anybody else, but for me, like, I just grew up so far removed from the Filipino culture. Like, I don't speak Tagalog. I don't, like, cook Filipino foods. I, like, have a somehow like a valley girl accent (laughs) (laughs) and it's really weird because I don't know it's unique because as far as like colorism and like classism in the Philippines like my family especially my mom's side like they are like from Manila like my mom went to Marinol her dad was in the (laughs) army he really believed that everyone should like speak English so she grew uh-huh. up speaking English and that <laughs> I have like Spanish ancestry and like British ancestry too so like I'm in this weird like in between I don't know I pretty much like was born in Canada speak English and I was like very westernized but mm-hmm. the only time that I like remember that I'm not the only time but you know it's like I didn't really realize what the implications were for being Filipino until people started like treating me different in sex work and being like oh you're Asian like you must be so submissive and like I love Filipinos they love to cook etc but that stereotype Mm -hmm. I want to talk about that later but like as far as like colorism goes I feel like I don't know I can kind of go between kind of like white looking and I used to have like blonde hair like Marilyn Monroe thing going on I feel like I made like like people liked that like that was well received so I feel like it can either go like that direction or I can go in like the Oh, like exotic Asian direction. Just like capitalize on on people fetishizing me. But I don't really tend to do that. But do you think that's really interesting that you how you brought that up though? Like, do you think by playing both sides you have a leg up or an advantage somehow? 
in terms of sex work? I just can't like <laughs> I just can't like I just I don't know I used to really try to like school like strip club patrons and then they'd be like what's your ethnicity and I'd be like you have to go for dance if you want me to tell you because it's not important like I'm a person but now I just say like oh I'm Filipino and if, and sometimes they like it and they're like oh wow but I don't really even like to like capitalize on it I probably could. Mm-hmm. I probably like. I like. I feel like I definitely have the option to, and be like, "Oh yeah," but I'd rather just like be myself. Like I don't have that much of a persona difference from when I'm working and when right. I'm not working. And it's not like I grew up in the Philippines anyway. Like I grew up in Victoria, so <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty and, white. Uh, <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm still very, very proud of, like, my roots and my heritage. So I just don't do it. So I can't really answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I just like to put you on the hotspot. <laughs> but actually, I want to put you on the hotspot again. So, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, in, our, in terms of, um, since you grew up in Canada and you grew up in Victoria, BC, which is pretty white, but also growing up as a Filipino, but not having any Asian role models and stuff too. I know you were mentioning in the notes, um, in our show notes here, in terms of like adopting black culture as a first generation Filipino Canadian, because there weren't any Filipino ex, uh, Filipino ex role models available or even Asians. Did you want to kind of elaborate or touch on that really briefly? Yeah, I really do. I feel like, I don't know, growing up in the, in the uh, Filipino community, like the music that the Filipino community like listened to, like my Filipino Catholic youth group was hip hop. Like yes. they listened, that was like in the, like the early 2000s era of like 50 Cent and like yes. Cheney <laughs> and like Jaquan and like that era. And I was like, <laughs> that was a pretty fun like era to grow up in. We wore like, like fat farm shoes with like the Velcro, Velcro to it, itself and yes. like bottom <laughs> apparel and stuff like that. Like it was pretty it's pretty fun and I didn't really like understand what like culturally was going on but I think it was I don't know like people like you see in the mainstream media like black artists and people with darker skin who are also marginalized and going through their own type of oppression and then having no Asian like super popular mainstream artists I think that we were kind of just like drawn to black culture and it Mm -hmm. ended up like really really influencing my stripping and like Mm -hmm. I pretty much only dance to black music now and I didn't really it's not like I never thought about it but I've just been thinking about it more like with the whole black lives matter movement coming out like just how much black culture has ended up influencing me so absolutely yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think even in the Philippines that's kind of prevalent um, like um, that we are influenced by black 
culture. I think, like for example, like even among even amongst like people my age, like they have, they kind of feel a little bit too comfortable saying the N word, and they don't like you know like you have to explain to them that it's not right. And I think yeah. that. Um, I think that we, as a colored people, like we have a lot, like we feel a lot of solidarity with that struggle, even though like it's not the same. And I don't, you know, encourage people who aren't black to use the N word. But I understand why a lot of Filipinos would like feel that kind of affiliation with black culture because we were also like an um, an American colony and we did feel that oppression too, like on our own on our own land. So, you know, like it's something that I understand. <laughs> I totally yep. get it. The and people <laughs> oh, Filipinos are the black people of Asia and stuff like yes. that. Like, I was I don't say know that. what that means. <laughs> <laughs> because when you go here to um, when you come here to the Philippines and you go on the street, like, like our fat, like you know, like the the fashion of the masses, like is very influenced by you know hip hop and black culture. You know, like, like, like just, just you know, like rappers and hip hoppers and gangsters everywhere. Like when you come here, and yeah, it's it's kind of something that we appropriated for ourselves, which I am not sure. You know, like I'm kind of ambivalent about, but right. it's happening. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing that up. <laughs> I think it's so important to have that acknowledgement, especially mm-hmm. it helps sensitive uh things are um in its current climate and also um in light of the whole black lives matter movement as well Mm -hmm. so thank you naomi for bringing that up super 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 important to have a discussion um but i did want to kind of pivot a little bit too in terms of talking about something i've mentioned earlier in terms of fetishization it's such a sticky topic i don't even know where to begin. <laughs> Who wants to start on fetishization? It's it's such a such a broad topic. <laughs> slash infuriating slash <laughs> beneficial. I mean <laughs> Who wants to start? <laughs> hmm. I, I don't know. I think I kind of already said like I just don't choose to play into it. Because mm-hmm. I just can't, like, I don't know, it just takes up too much, like, emotional labor to be like, oh, yeah, like, I'll cook you pants, like, I just won't <laughs> do that. Like, just don't see it happening. So, but I would never, like, I don't know, maybe I do, and I don't know it, but I don't think, whatever. Um, like, I don't argue with people if they're like, oh, wow, like, I really love Filipino women. I'm like, okay, cool, let's go for a dance but I don't really like play into it, but I don't judge Mm -hmm. anyone who does because I'm just like, yeah, like get that money, do it. (laughs) I mean, there is just such a fine line between fetishization, you know, like, and how Asians are perceived in the foreign market. Um, For sure. For example, yeah, like for example, as you said, with the whole stereotype of Asian women, we're typically seen as submissive, and especially like in terms of Filipino women, very hardworking. You know, we won't answer back. We're all yeah, nurses very, very or something. Accommodating. Yeah, like it's 
kind of infuriating <laughs> a little bit that we're only seen as that. <laughs> Who wants to elaborate a little bit more on this topic? I, I do have some experience with that. Like I, because I also do like one-on-one -on -one video calls um, with, with, um, with customers and clients. And usually like, um, and I get a lot of like, uh, I get a lot of like, um, comments or speech about like oh you're like i really love your asian pussy because it's so tiny and i love that you're so small and i love that you're so cute and stuff like that and it, i feel like it kind of um it kind of like erases or takes for granted my agency as a person um mm -hmm. and i and i and but it's i don't know like i i'm i'm still it's it's something that i'm still grappling with because um because I am a submissive, um, I am a switch actually, but I have more experience as a submissive when it comes to kink. So mm -hmm. like, you, so it can be argued that like, why am I playing into that stereotype? Um, so why am I playing into that stereotype as a submissive Asian woman, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But to me, um, to me, that kind of like stereotype or that kind of like fetishization or that kind of um, that kind of profiling has been ingrained in me so much, and I've been exposed to it so much that it has legitimately become part of my identity, and it has become something that I've chosen for myself. So there is a very fine line between, you know, like yeah, <laughs> you know, but like. like it, it, yeah, it's become part of my identity. So like, so I would get a lot of arguments that, you know, like it's kind of like anti-feminist that you're, that you're leaning into that because you're submissive. And I'm like, mm. but it's already part of my identity. You know, like how, how do I, like how do I erase that for the sake of political correctness? You know, so it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard to grapple with sometimes. <laughs> oh, definitely. May add with the grappling. Yes. Because you said the magic F word, and I thought I should come in. <laughs> come in, come in. It's Joanne speaking. Come on in, Joanne. <laughs> let's, let's come on in and enjoy the fun, right? I guess um, in line with uh, fetishization, I think that there's a good and a bad side with it. As with, you know, um, a lot of things in our line of work. Um, we, we do know the bad things. We're very familiar with the bad things of, of fetishization. But um, I find that um, as, a, as a dominatrix, I use um, race play or um, fetishizing race um, as a fetishization as a form to educate. It's, it right. could be a form to educate, like, for example, and to... Um, explore uh explore that taboo topic with my partners you know mm -hmm. because it's it's something that is so sensitive that no one feels comfortable talking about it unless you put them in a kink setting and you fix the yeah. setup you fix the setup in such a way that it's consensual yeah sure um fetishize me as your um asian dragon dominatrix and i will <laughs> I will do the same to you as the, my white colonizer. I'm going to colonize you this time. You know, so <laughs> there's, there's a bit of um, ed educating in the process and exploring with that, learning more about that taboo topic, mm -hmm. okay, in a safe space, in a safe space. Right. Yeah. 
There you go. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really, really, really important that you are cognizant of, you know, like the forces or the influences that made you what you are, that, you know, that shaped your identity as a sexual person. And, you know, like, I, I think you just have to be aware that, you know, your preferences and your identity, that's not created in a vacuum. So you have to always be, like, cognizant of that, I feel. Yeah. Um, especially mm -hmm. if you're playing, um, if, especially if you bring it to a playground like kink. Um, because a kink is essentially like a playground where you can act out your, you know, your fantasies, what, your however fantasies. So, right. So with me, um, uh, so with me, I, um, I play along with the fetishization in the strip club, um, mm -hmm. just because I can't get rid of my accent. So it's obvious that I'm Filipino. It is very cute. Yeah, usually when when guys ask, <laughs> when they ask like, "What's your nationality?" Isn't it obvious with my accent? <laughs> you know, like, and then like, well, you have to buy a dance, and you, you might find out. <laughs> you know? So I, I I I capitalize on it, but then when they step on like, like you know, guys who go to the strip club, they 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 see you as a an object sometimes, and mm -hmm. so um, there were a couple times where you know when they find out I'm Filipino, I'm like, oh, you must be good at cleaning. I, I would love you no. to come over to my apartment and clean my place. And usually when I'm that offended. happens now, when, when when I have like my stripper friends there, they were they're the ones who usually beat them up for me now. <laughs> so they're like, what the fuck did you say to my friend? You better fucking say I'm sorry or I'm gonna beat your dick. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, I'm just gonna be like just a piece of cute Asian like, yeah, what she said. <laughs> Playing so, into the role. Oh my god. <laughs> Playing the role. <laughs> but then, you know, I also have my moods. Probably when I have my period, I, I, I do tend to bring up my feisty side. So it's like, I cannot be fucked, basically. So if, if you say something like that and I don't have any of my friends, I'm just like, stilettos on your dick. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, what did you say? And, and then if they're feeling entitled and they don't apologize, that's when, you know. And... Yeah, so I'm I'm like I, I do play that cutesy bubbly submissive Asian role, but then um when they when the guys I think that's one thing I really like about working at the strip club is you know we have the power to you know tell the bouncers like he's an asshole or he didn't pay me kind of thing. Or usually mm -hmm. what I end up doing is I end up just kicking their ass. <laughs> 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 Using my stiletto to whip I'm like like what did you say? <laughs> Stab you! <laughs> Don't mess with this cute little submissive-looking Asian chick. <laughs> yeah. So there's like a really, really fine line there. So I mean, I'm hearing that it's not okay. There's some people have to draw the line, and it's really up to your comfort level, I would say. But I mean, if you're going to be using it towards your benefit, if you could capitalize on it, why not? Um, I. I'm okay with it personally. <laughs> Playing the role to a certain extent until they piss me off and or until it's not acceptable anymore. Like I feel like everyone has their own personal boundaries and for sure. It's okay. Yeah. Totally. So <laughs> was there any other points you want to add to that <laughs> whole topic? 
I think what's important with um I, I, I think like I, I think it's just really like important that you let um that your boundaries are influenced or your boundaries are yeah, your boundaries are influenced by the fact that you know you are aware of what the stereotype is and you are aware about when it becomes harmful and you are aware mm -hmm. about where um when it affects the person you're interacting with when it affects their perception of other filipinos you know you have to yeah. always be aware of that um so yeah just don't forget that and you're good like i feel <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a really really good talk point and also thank you joanne all the way from the philippines i didn't get to introduce you as well she's in the audience today dominatrix burlesque dancer extraordinaire so <laughs> Be sure to peep her later. <laughs> um, I also want to kind of move things over as well in terms of the contrast between sex work in North America and also sex work in Asia and specifically the Philippines. So <laughs> there's three of us here from Canada and we're all from Vancouver, which is really, for the most part, liberal or at least liberal facing. Um, and we're all strippers <laughs> and I would say mm -hmm. that we're pretty lucky on the west coast here just um because I mean a reason I started the podcast was because a client of mine made a comment saying that well strippers in Vancouver are like idolized they are all influencers the whole culture there is really cool and I thought that statement said a lot and also just made me realize how in like in generally generally speaking how accepted it is and kind of almost how trendy it is for us i'm not sure if um Salome, if you have the same experience and i'm only specifically talking about stripping in this light but i'm not sure how in the philippines it is i know there's a lot of restrictions there with with even online sex work. I know there's a cyber sex law. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into it. <laughs> so like are you are you like asking about like how sex work is perceived here as opposed to yeah. how sex work is perceived over there? Oh, yeah, okay. Totally. Like I feel like like as with all of the um as with a lot of other things, I feel like the Philippines is a little bit behind with their understanding about the nature of sex work and how you know, ethical it really is. Um, because a little bit. <laughs> I'm being nice. I'm, I'm, I'm baby. <laughs> but um, like, like obviously, like it's very, it's very, 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 very stigmatized here. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think like a big, um, a big step in un in really understanding and really normalizing the existence of sex work is, you know, like separating sex work from trafficking, you know, because, right. because to a person who doesn't like, who doesn't have a very good understanding of, of sex in general, they would always think that trafficking and sex work are one and the same. So right. like, obviously that is the case here. That is the case for, um, for most of the world, I feel, but especially in countries like the Philippines, because, right. um, so so there's that and and obviously like if if people 
if if that is like the com if that is what is common knowledge here like that gets adapted into law so we have a lot of laws that conflate sex work and trafficking like like the cyber sex law with right. um which you know like like viewing porn or making porn is not exploitation or at least in most in most cases because they're obviously like there, there are obviously like a lot of cases where like minors are coerced or people are coerced into into making pornography. But you know, if it's an, if it's made by an actual sex worker with an actual studio, you know, like that is obviously very consensual and that should be allowed. But right, but and and what the Philip and what the cyber sex the target is, you know, the presence of minors on the internet making videos. But the cyber sex law bans fucking everything. Like PLDT, which is the biggest telco company in the Philippines, bans the bans um, people from viewing Pornhub. Like if you type in Pornhub and you're using PLDT, it just says the site isn't there. So really? So so yeah, like so there's a lot of opportunities for sex workers that are not available here as opposed to, you know, like overseas. Like Chatterbait is not available here. My free camps is not available here. OnlyFans is not available here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm assuming you're not under PLDT. What? <laughs> I'm assuming you're not under PLDT. <laughs> no. Castello <laughs> May has OnlyFans. <laughs> so many people are asking me about it, and I'm like, I can't tell you. It's it's confidential, but but yeah, like um, it's because we have because it's because we have that law, and right. and you know it's it's always the countries that have that have a really big trafficking problem. Like mm-hmm. on my free camps and Chatterbait, only the Ukraine and the Philippines are banned because we have a big trafficking problem. And I right. really believe that it's because of the conflation and because of the lack of understanding that sex work and trafficking is different. Um. So yeah, there you go. That's my take on it. <laughs> That's huge. And of course, we're going to really dive into sex trafficking afterwards, but I really want to kind of still continue on the topic of um, the contrast here, but that's, that's a huge, huge, huge censorship yeah, for we, you guys. We have, we have, like, not even with just with sex work. Like, we, we recently passed a law where you can be detained for three days if you were caught being a terrorist, which which means that you oh. spoke uh, you spoke against the government, you can be tagged as a terrorist, and you can be detained without a warrant for three days. That was passed like last month. Yeah, so that's long. new. I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, I remember that's the junk terror bill, right? <laughs> yeah, it's fucking awful. But so crazy. So you can imagine like the kind of like victimization, um, not victimization. The kind of like marginalization that sex workers face, sex workers face from the government. Right. Yeah, because they're all lumped so in. <laughs> totally. That's awful. I mean, mm-hmm. and of course, here in Canada, we also have, we're not without these shitty laws, too. So, oh, <laughs> I mean, <man. laughs> we also I have. Don't know um, about them. <laughs> We got some shitty laws, too, that don't benefit sex workers, that don't uh, protect sex workers either. So in Canada, we have Bill 36. We have a lot of restrictions. That is very, very similar to the USA's SOSTA-FESTA, which, again, was 
well, in my opinion, <laughs> what I understand of it was created to combat sex trafficking as well. But like yeah. in the Philippines, they lump together uh, mm -hmm. sex traffickers, the victims with consenting sex workers and people that yeah. are creating their own content, their own stuff. But again, uh -huh. there's no um, discernment. There's nothing that can separate the two at all. So it's it's really tricky and and also dangerous for um, a number of sex workers here in Canada as yeah. well. So it's <laughs> that, those kinds of laws like kind of prevent sex workers from forming a network with each other. Because, mm -hmm. um, because Fox and Sesta, for example, like it, what, what it does is that it prevents the talk of like any kind of talk about sex or about sex work. So, ter um, on the entire platform. So like, like for example, on OnlyFans, you're not allowed to say the word meat or book or stuff like that. So, so if you prevent the, the use of that kind of speech, how are sex workers going to talk, talk to each other about their work? How are they gonna like communicate to each other what's dangerous and what's not dangerous to do? Like it's just it just like eliminating that kind of speech from a platform just makes it dangerous for everyone. So that's Very what people dangerous. fail to understand because they when they make these laws, they never take into account what sex workers actually want. They just you know make assumptions about the industry. So right. Yeah. <laughs> Another, <laughs> another chip on my shoulder. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you fired up in here. They don't care what sex workers want because that's not the point of these type of laws. The point of these type of laws is to abolish sex work, which is like literally the oldest profession. So like, good <laughs> luck with that. Yeah, because it's the only profession that you can do with just your body. So... Like, how are you going to abolish that when there's so many people who can't, you know, can't have jobs outside of what they can offer, which is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going <stop. laughs> to go on a whole rant if you don't let me stop. <laughs> you sound emotionally exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> because it is emotionally exhausted. <laughs> it is. It is. They never take mm -hmm. a, our opinions into account at all. Mm -hmm. It really leaves us um, having other people speak for us all the time in terms yeah. of sex workers and, and our rights because we basically don't have any. <laughs> At least not in Canada. It also sounds like it's not not also also in the Philippines as well in the states. Yeah. Lots of parallels there, so mm -hmm. not so different in that case. But um, I don't know, Naomi. Did you want to speak a little bit about the street sex workers too? Because I know you also do some work with Wish Vancouver, which is a nonprofit. I'm not sure you want to speak a little on that. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> when I think, I don't know, like the word that comes to mind is stupid. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's like people work on the street Which is, like, I think that everyone should be, like, have a right to do that. Like, a, a lot of these, a lot of street-based sex workers that I, you know, work with in my other job are Indigenous. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, their land that they're working on. And then these cops come and just, like, sit on the 
park on the side on the curb or whatever and scare away potential dates like for no reason it's like wise and then it just like prevents them from providing for themselves or Mm -hmm. maybe their family and then you can also like face so much discrimination if they find if the government like finds out that you're a sex worker they can take away your child like even if you're like a perfectly sorry adequate parent it just seems so like stupid and pointless to me it's like why are we trying to abolish a way for women to make money mm-hmm. by right. like i don't know parking cop cars <laughs> to like scare away <laughs> dates like i'm like that's what we're the police are like doing with their time like it <laughs> doesn't make any sense like it actually like dumbfounds me sometimes like i don't know yeah. if that really like relates to what we're talking about but no, I think it does definitely relate too, because again, the conversation about street sex workers, it's really hard to get their opinion because obviously all of us, we choose to do um, our type of sex work. Some mm-hmm. of the street and survival yeah. workers don't have a choice as well. So that's why I want to like loop you in the, <laughs> in the conversation too, because well, of your, your voluntary uh, involvement there with your other work. So it's just like, whether or not it's like a choice sometimes it is the best choice sometimes you do have a choice and it's the best choice and sometimes the best choice is working on the street you know Mm -hmm. like everyone's situation is different some people work for themselves to support their families like some people just don't have different job opportunities some people are like in abusive relationships or like have a pimp that forces them to do it some people just do it because they want to but like there's so many factors that make sex work sometimes the best option for people and that even includes stripping like you know Mm -hmm. if i really wanted to like wait tables or something like that would be an option for me for sure but like i would rather just be a sex worker because it works for me for different reasons like it Uh it clears up my schedule i get to be an artist i get to be physical like i have like you know like mental illness and it's hard for me to you know if i just don't want to come into work i just don't have to go to work so Mm -hmm. there's just so many reasons why people should do like would do sex work is the best thing right um that I just think everyone should be allowed access to it if that's what they choose and want whether or not they're like forced into it by society like as long as it's working for them I think that people should have the right to engage in it right and have that agency yeah well said (laughs) um I also wanted to sorry, before we move on, was there anything else that anyone wanted to add to that too, in terms of laws, um, how uh, it's perceived in North America, how it's perceived in Asia or the Philippines as well, before we move I, on? I, yeah, <laughs> I think like just what people also fail to like understand is that these kinds of laws, which are, you know, meant to contribute to the abolishing of sex work, 
like these laws are also like really harmful to victims of trafficking, which is the most important mm -hmm. thing. Like it's it's really it's it's really counterintuitive because yeah. these laws are in place to prevent um, to abolish sex work and ultimately prevent trafficking because you know they're because they're trying to eradicate the market, which is never going to happen. So like. So while they put in these laws, these um, it makes it harder for victim for actual victims of trafficking to contact law enforcement. It makes it harder for them to be heard because you know when laws like these are in place to suppress sex work, it drives victims of trafficking further underground. Like the people who handle those people, um, who handle who handle those victims of trafficking, like they now have an, an incentive to be better at hiding. And they get, and they do get better at hiding, and it's awful. And it just makes everything worse for everyone. And you know, just it's frustrating. <laughs> Very it's frustrating. Really frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good segue, actually, too, because I actually wanted to dive deeper into the topic of sex work, sex work, and and uh, sex trafficking too, which is obviously very prevalent in the Philippines. Not to oh, say that yeah. it's not prevalent in Canada as well, but um, I guess it's just more visible there as well as other mm -hmm. parts of Southeast Asia, uh, Eastern Europe too. Yeah. So yeah, who, who wants to get started on that topic? It's, it's a heavy one <laughs> and a frustrating one too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so depressing, but... <laughs> uh. Like, who has the most knowledge on this in terms of, I guess, the population of Filipinos or who who is engaging most in sex trafficking, he would say? Mm. <laughs> There's so many. I don't know where to start. I think the focus should be on like making making the community or making making the community like easier for people who don't have like a good background to get work that isn't sex work you know because a lot of a lot of people and a lot of these children are driven into sex work because of economic need and right. that's very understandable for a third world country here in the philippines so like so i wish so i wish that there was more effort put into like making making better communities so that that need to go into sex work earlier than they should and without their consent doesn't, you know, it doesn't exist. I hope it like, exists. Yeah. yeah. So. Gosh. That's awful. <laughs> it's just it's a really lot. Awful. <laughs> it is yeah. awful. Well, I think it just, I don't know, like with, there's lots of conversations going on in the world right now in regards to different issues. Like, COVID, um, you know, police brutality. They're talking about, like, there's also discussions here about, like, defunding the police and investing mm -hmm. the funds into community programs, social services, mm -hmm. mental health, etc. I yeah, think totally. that having, like, it's an ecosystem. Like, society is an ecosystem. So, like, like Salome was saying, if we eliminate the need to do that by creating healthier societies overall, mm -hmm. and it will 
not force people into those situations. And I think Mm -hmm. it's like, it's actually bigger than sex work. It has to do with like just capitalism in general and like poverty and the way we view and care for each other in in community with each other. Right. Like having, having support programs put in place for people who need it. That's my, that's just like, that's very political. And I know that's my personal opinion, but I just feel like it makes sense because as we're seeing with COVID and everything, you know, everything that's going on in the world, we are all connected and we Mm -hmm. do all affect each other. So one thing, if you implement one program, it will affect people like on another level if that makes sense, in vulnerable communities, especially. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that really, if I'm like articulating myself properly, but that's kind of how I feel. No, it makes sense. And there, there's been sense. like a huge, yeah, like there's been a huge disconnect too, as you've been seeing in America, obviously uh, streaming from around the world too, I guess sparked with the Black Lives Matter movement. Again, going back to that, just a lot of roots, um, in that and as you said with the whole defunding of the police and trying to allocate those services um or allocate that funding into different social services or maybe it's like more psychiatric care or or just sending the correct people out there who are actually trained to deal in emergency situations like we need a lot more of that too yeah it's very, very one note <laughs> with the police. And again, this is also my personal opinion. I'm with you on that 100%, yeah. Naomi. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> and I think, too, that people, um, people always fail to understand that criminality or criminal activity is not the cause for, um, for a community to fall apart. It's, it's a byproduct, you know? Like, it's a... Totally. It's a yeah, so that, yes. that's... You know, like, I feel like people need to understand that first. Before, you know, before targeting criminals, you have to think about what made them a criminal, you know? Mm -hmm. How did they get there? What their story is? Yeah. And you can't really do that with the kind of, like, police system that we we have. Um, So, yeah, there you go. So sad. It is. Everything's depressing now. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not depressing. Like, I'm fired up, and I'm really happy that we're, honestly, I'm really happy that we're just able to be at a point in this world where we can talk about these things and realize these things and think critically about these things. Like, I'm happy to also be servicing sex workers on the street level so that I can see these things firsthand and be like oh okay like this is what needs to happen and you do see the results of different programs you know coming and how they're working etc and like different solutions and how they one thing from one sector like affects another thing like it's a very real thing and I'm just happy that we're able to have these conversations because at the end of the day you might think like uh i don't know like say issues of like drug use or like different things like don't affect Mm -hmm. us but then it's like 
okay, but I am a stripper and I am a sex worker and I'm a person of color and, you know, like it, it actually does affect us and, yeah, you know, it affects all of us. 100%. Yeah, and I think that, and I think it's really important too that, you know, like sex worker, se um, sex work is like a microcosm of a, um, of all, because, because there's so many like marginalized people, um, marginalized like demographics, like intersect with sex work. Because like I said, it's the only job that people from a really, from a really like, um, really underprivileged background can do. So like you, you, you would find that a lot of sex workers are people of color, a lot of sex workers are trans and non-binary. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we need to talk about these things because, like, sex work uh, isn't sex work in itself. It also involves, you know, issues with race and gender and, you know, like, and economic disadvantage and stuff like that. Yes, I'm so glad you said that because it's all <laughs> interconnected. There's so mm -hmm. many intersectionalities as well that go hand mm -hmm. in hand. There's so many different layers are there. So... This is why we're here to unpack it all, or at least attempt to <laughs> unpack it all in like two hours. So <laughs> there's so much trying. more. <laughs> we're trying. We're we're opening up the discussion, which is you know doing our part in that. So hopefully, mm -hmm. everyone listening can take a bit of that back. Right. <laughs> um, Naomi, you also brought up something too, which I wanted to kind of bring into the topic that I forgot to write on the itinerary, but I also want to talk about COVID and how sex workers are dealing with COVID, obviously, because yeah. it has affected every industry. <laughs> I want to know about so, that too. Like, I'm not because dealing. I'm like, because I'm Just, like cooped up in my room doing the OnlyFans stuff. I don't really know what's going on in the street. Like, yeah. Or street, okay, well, like, literally on the street, people are still doing sex work. They're still doing full service. They're still doing in-person work. Um, I'm also in several, like, private party groups. And people are still doing, hiring strippers for private parties. People are still hiring escorts for full service, um, for your bachelor party, whatever. You can have, like, two girls come and do a sex show in person. Oh, so that's just still happening. Like people are not not doing it. Also, like where we live in BC, Vancouver, like the the cases are just rising. So that's Again. just really <laughs> scary to think about. At the same time, we have our strip clubs being like targeted by the media and just by people's perceptions, like. Um, a strip club that I've worked at for years, Brandy's, was named by the media as having like a quote-unquote outbreak and for skirting the rules, which I don't think is really necessarily fair to say. Also, I think it's just like naming strip clubs in the media is kind of like already marginalizes people because there's already stigma around yes. strip clubs. In reality, like strip clubs have temperature checks and encourage like people to wear masks and have encouraged social distancing. Like 
who can say if it's really perfect? Who can say if people should really be going out at this point? You know, a lot of people would argue, like, no one should be working, no one should be going to strip clubs. But the fact of the matter is you're not going to stop sex workers from going and making money. You're not going to keep people from their income if they rely on it. So... It just becomes dangerous because if, if the strip clubs close down, then what are your options? You have to either go online and do like OnlyFans, many goods, etc., or you go physical contact, private parties, street-based sex mm-hmm. work, online, like ad-based escorting, etc., which is even, right. you know, arguably riskier. So, I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> you pretty much put it all in a nutshell. <laughs> all those points. <laughs> it's, there's a lot of struggle there. Like, Jolene. Yes. Because you, you started escorting during the pandemic. How was that for you? Oh, my God. Um, so, so <laughs> yeah, I was juggling online hustle, you know, um, OnlyFans and all. And then, yeah, I was I was doing the escorting thing. And um, so, usually, well, the, the guys I was in contact with were already regulars or folks who, who met me at the strip club. So, I would just usually exchange, message exchange with them from an encrypted um, app like a text an encrypted texting app so that's how i still connect with them (laughs) you know so and um what i usually (laughs) um there's a but there's a couple um one of them is signal i don't know if you've heard of signal no yeah anyway so that's (laughs) one of them so every time like if they want to meet up i i like if they text me I, i have a burner phone number and so if they text me there, um, I, like if they're using the real number, I, we, I would just be like, okay, let's transfer our conversation in the Signal app or, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, I think I, I, I do it like double like safety with, with having a burner phone and then, yeah, the Signal app. And um, if it's a, it's a gut thing too, like, you know, you still have to be able to read people if they're not like psycho or, you know, you could trust them kind of thing. So a couple of them who I know I could still trust who, who won't be like creepy stalkers, I would take them into my apartment. Um, but it's very limited. Like um, I only welcome like two two guys who I, I think I could trust. And then a couple of times when, when I, like if I, if, I know if I have that rapport with them, I'm actually willing to like do an out call with them. Um, mm. Yeah, it, like it's still a gut thing. I, I still have to make sure, you know, I'm not going to get murdered. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, so well, how I'm doing it is pretty dangerous. But then it's, <laughs> it's anyway, how, how, how I kind of did it is, you know, I'm still risking my safety, my, you know, my life but then because um it's just like knowing that i can trust him and also i usually have like there's a term for it like is it tight string 
okay. I don't remember the I, I don't remember the term, but then it's like how you know if you're gonna go with a client, you tell a friend of yours in the industry that hey, mm. you know, I'm I'm gonna go with this client and I'm gonna be in the outskirts of British Columbia. I don't know. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> can, can you can can yeah, you can, can you like yeah body it's like a bad body system. So I also follow the body system where I would tell like a friend of mine that I'm gonna be out with a client in this time and then to check in with me kind of thing. So right. like, I would tell them like okay check in with me on this time on this day kind of thing make sure I'm safe kind of thing. Or yeah. if I'm with a client, I, I tell them like, okay, can you call me so that, you know, I can like let the client know that, oh yeah, like a friend of mine knows that I'm with you. <laughs> so it's like a sneaky right. way too, to let them know that, yeah, somebody else knows. It's not just the two of us. So, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. So a yeah. little more filtering there, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. try to bring it uh, back, back here to Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, since um, since Salome is, is pretty much online, I'm actually um, one of the people affected because I, I, I did dance at clubs and I was um, yeah. pretty much always at events yeah. Yeah. Um, before all of this. Yeah, before all uh-huh. of this. So, uh, yeah, COVID hit me and people like me pretty hard. But yes. at the uh-huh. same time, though, I have a feeling that business is still booming. I've been receiving a lot of requests, application forms for, for sessions now more than ever. And they're like, really? you know, yeah, yeah. I guess it's wow. because everyone's all, you know, sex starved and shit. Yeah, like everyone's like <laughs> starting to crave that kind of connection with someone. And, you know, like at this like, point, only sex workers are, are going to be able to provide exactly. that. Sex workers and therapists, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes we're both. Sex Sometimes we're, we're I think though that in certain pockets, you know, certain pockets of Metro Manila and especially in the provinces, I think that business is booming. Because hmm. I mean, only based on based on my experience, they're even like really hiking up my prices. Come on, I'll double, I'll, I'll double your fee, I'll triple your fee, just see me right now. And I'm like wow. Oh, you know what? That's really tempting, but the 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 pandemic situation here in the Philippines is shit. There's no space it, at hospitals. It's crazy. Anymore. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Like you would see like people like you would see the military on, the ground. on like yeah. checkpoints. Yeah. What? I, I was gonna take yeah. a picture of that because it started again, and you know, oh, like it's so hard for sex workers to meet people. Yeah, so, right? they're issuing like a shoot to kill order. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get the fuck yeah. out of here. Oh my god. Yeah. It's not fucking it's insane here. It's insane. Okay, that's another level. <laughs> I love how oh anything god. traumatic is said, people just start laughing. Like we're just like, oh yeah, it's so dangerous. <laughs> 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 real yeah. Just don't so go funny. out. And again, <laughs> yeah, business seems to be booming for my sisters here. Wow, that's mm. like, <laughs> that's good to hear. Though. though it's so like it's it's so volatile on OnlyFans. Like it used to because I started right in the middle of the pandemic. Like Jolene, <laughs> I oh. started OnlyFans in May, and you know, like I of course I have like my own network of other sex workers who do OnlyFans, who do exclusively OnlyFans like me, and they were saying that oh I used to. 
I, I, I used to have this many subscribers, but I'm losing like a hundred subscribers a day. I used to make, I, I used to make $6,000. Now I only make $4,000 a month. And you know, like it's just falling you know? <laughs> because people don't have any expendable income. People can't afford to pay for porn anymore. So that, yeah, that's one angle of it for sure. Do you think it's because all of the options are now available online? So yeah, the competition is online. Yeah. Oh. And, and and I think too and I think too that OnlyFans is getting more and more saturated because like yes. every every unemployed girl has started an OnlyFans, you know? Like, yes. <laughs> not me. Don't but we get me started on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like, 100% like, agree. Yeah, so OnlyFans girls are definitely affected as well. Like, you know, like like all the other jobs. But it's it's really good that you're that, you know, like people who do in-person sex work are still flourishing. Like yeah. Because, because, and yeah, like e even if I started um during the pandemic and like my other colleagues are telling me if you had started like just a couple months before, you you would have made a killing, but you started at the worst time. You know, like even even <laughs> like even if that is happening, I'm still you know I'm still grateful for what I got. You know, like yeah, it's but, still there. It's struggling, but it's but the the start the industry is struggling. But you know, it's it's gonna keep on as it always does. Wild, wild <laughs> right now in sexy. Yeah, like freaking anything can happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> only fans could suddenly shut down. You know, it's. Oh, they've been threatening to. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, another topic. <laughs> there's yeah. so many rumors that you know, like, hey, since all of the celebrities are on OnlyFans and they're doing safer work stuff, they're they're slowly pushing out the sex workers, and we kind of feel it because there are like some days where we would get notifications that, hey, your account is temporarily restricted because of something random, and you know, it's really, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah, like I, I'm sure, like the I, I'm sure, like maybe Jolene, like who does fetish stuff, like will experience, like has experienced this. That if you have like content with piss or blood, or oh. you know, like you get restricted, and that's so anti-sex work. I feel, and it they're is. becoming more and more like that. So interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I never, I've never heard of this yet. So like they're basically they're only allowing certain types of sex work on yes. the website. Ah, this is all new to me. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's like, mainstream. Like the you can't even say the word torture or choke. Yeah, or piss. that's right. That's right. Or, yeah, yeah. Like, so it's, they're only allowing vanilla sex work. So, yeah, right yeah. Mainstream <laughs> taboo. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Okay, this is new to me. I'm gonna have to <laughs> learn more about this later. But um, wow. Okay, this, this is a lot there. So there, <laughs> there's some. <laughs> forms of sex work that are flourishing yeah online stuff has been up and down again with i have to agree with you with the whole oversaturization i've mentioned this many many times on the podcast <laughs> it's, it's like influx of civilian girls joining the site not knowing what they're getting into like <laughs> amateurs <laughs> uncharted territory let's talk about it that's why we're here <laughs> Because I have the same frustrations. I feel like there's a lot of civilian girls joining the site, flooding the website, selling pretty much their nudes for like $2, $5, like showing everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
but at the same time, like it's not how I built my fan base at all. And when I get messages from some of my clients, be like, oh, well, this girl sold me a video for $15. Why is yours like $75 to $100? I'm like, well, well, <laughs> <laughs> do I have to explain it to you? <laughs> well, first of all, my resume is a little bit more extensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a lot my more TV. content than third videos. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if any of you guys are feeling that same, or you guys are in a similar vein. I mean, that's how it is, at least for me personally, but. I think <laughs> that everyone that I've talked to uses OnlyFans differently. Because mm -hmm. I started my OnlyFans, and it's basically like just, I don't do porn. That's just my personal boundary, like nothing against it. It's just like my pictures sexy pictures and sexy dancing and like my sexy photos and yeah. some people they'll they'll upload like they'll just take like all these pictures at once and then they'll upload like one every day some people they're like posting all fucking day long like you know some people post like really explicit pornographic content some people keep it like pretty pg and it's just like art artfully done like not even nudes type of mm -hmm. you know like lingerie boudoir stuff so it's really interesting to see like how everyone does things differently on that platform and mm -hmm. makes it work for them specifically Right. There are so many in different interpretations of how OnlyFans is used. And it's not saying that one way is better than the other or one way is right. Because it is, as you said, as Naomi said, it's how you use it. Also, whatever is true to your own branding as well. So we all have to take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> But I wanted to kind of move over because I just realized, wow, we got only half an hour left. <laughs> I kind of wanted to move over to the last leg here. <laughs> if you guys are still listening. Um, in terms of like, <laughs> this long, we've been chatting for a long time. It's been great. In terms of like next steps and, and progress, um, the education aspect of it as well. Who wants to go into this in terms of like, this being an opportunity to educate men, educate civilians, educate everyone, <laughs> a way to destigmatize the industry. <laughs> I can start first. I don't know where it's going, but anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a big so, topic. It's broad. <laughs> <laughs> so with like, with like being a stripper and an escort, it's, it is definitely an opportunity to educate um, clientele and one thing I really like about sex work is that um, you, you can go through your own gatekeeping if you want to pursue that I, I go I like um, potential clients even in my um, escort they have to go through this really hardcore gatekeeping before I, I would take them in you know so I'm, I'm very very picky so I think within like the short span that I've been an escort I've had like 50 inquiries and I only took in three from <laughs> you know and and I like that I, I like having like that like being able to decide and choose like okay I like your vibe okay yeah 
school. Yeah, even in stripping and um, like with educating is um, like, you know, just like reminding them about consent, you know, like. Um, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's very, one. it's very important, especially when you're like, when a guy, a client wants you to do a duo, so they, they would want you to get another girl and then the other, you and the other girl do it basically like, oh, can I kiss you or can I touch this? And then just making it like obvious to them and then tell them like, yeah, consent is sexy. <laughs> that kind of thing. That's a good way so, of putting it. Yeah, so <laughs> I use that in the strip stripping industry. And then with like being an escort, for me, because with escort work, at least here in, in Vancouver, um, uh, especially if you charge a high rate, um, like I am, um, it's an opportunity to connect with guys who, who are like CEO who or who, you know, who have power in their company and then mm-hmm. make like l- making them aware of like you know so, because sometimes they hire us because they want to talk to somebody or you know they're not able to get what what they need or want from their wife and we have that similarity of like being willing to take risks you know they're taking a risk you know hiring you that kind of thing um so like just implementing um like if when they come to their business, like being able to implement uh, decisions where it's inclusive to minorities, people of color kind of thing, being able to inspire them to, you know, be inclusive in their decision making in the big, you know, the big picture or like their business yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, yeah, being able to sell time for a company and then like just reminding them that we're also human. You know, we're yeah. we're not a product. Yeah. We're not like a commodity. Um, we can play as long as there's like respect and um, respect of boundaries, respect of like each other's individuality, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that the service I'm able to provide is like empathy, human connection, touch. Oh my God, touch! Especially with this <laughs> pandemic, it's just like yeah, <laughs> like. I'm, I'm like living on my, I'm living on my own right now. So it's just like, um, oh, fucking touch. I, mean, I just like missed it. I'm just like, oh my God, I'm going crazy. Um, another thing about me is I also work um, part, well, I also work as a nanny. So like there was like that two week span where it was like quiet for me, no like client and stuff. And then they, they reach out to me like, hey, can you work for us? I know, you know, it's okay if you don't want to make, Oh my god! I need my baby cuddles. Hire me. <laughs> I don't care. It was like so part time. Just I need you with that right now. <laughs> so it actually accentuated the value of like our service, basically. You know, it's yeah, just like yeah. so. Yeah. So that that, that was You're a fascinating like the realization. Hot nanny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't really right. have it. Sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, I don't honestly really have that much of an interest on like educating people on how to treat people with respect. That's like very personal to me. Like, I would rather people just like come with the knowledge and they're like with it. 
and then they just like treat me with respect. But I feel like I just end up educating people because of the nature of what I do. Although it's not something that I try to do, if that makes mm. sense. Like I'll just like be myself yeah. and then people are like, oh my God, you're a human. Whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't try to be like, oh yeah, sex workers rights or like whatever. Like, I just, and I would rather not if I don't have to. I'd rather people just, you know, hey, like I read up and I'm going to tip you extra because I realized that you face these certain, you know, obstacles or whatever because of your job. And I'm like, thank you. Like, sometimes I will though. Like if people come into the club and they're just like not wanting to buy dances, I'm like, hey, just so you know, like if you're, this is a pandemic and like if you're not here to spend money like you probably shouldn't be here because like you should really be supporting the dancers 100% (laughs) I would just prefer I feel like compelled sometimes but I would honestly prefer people just like new things that they (laughs) no and that's totally validated too because it's emotionally exhausting to have to educate people on everything in terms of sex workers what our rights are you know what consent is there's just so many things there so that's totally okay you're you're allowed to feel like that for sure mm-hmm. um so i thought someone else was going to say something <laughs> <laughs> well um i guess for me i feel like it like again it's like one of the many things that frustrates me about sex work is that there is an opportunity for um with porn in particular, there's an opportunity for porn to teach people what sex is supposed to be and what, um, you know, like how beautiful a thing sex is. But people like, but the people who are in control of the porn industry are not taking advantage of that kind of power to do to do good and to educate people about what sex really is. Because right now, um, they are obviously focusing on making profit and you know and they know that what is the most um they know that since the audience is very patriarchal and the audience is very the audience has a lot of internalized misogyny they know that if they capitalize on that or they know if they play to that um to that preference they know that they will make the most money so you can see so most porn um and most content is you know like really rough sex or really like racially charged porn or really yes. um or really just like seeing um seeing these like unrealistic um unrealistic like images of womanhood being very 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 submissive and you know like it's like that almost all across the board and you know mm-hmm. like i feel like people in porn should take the time to educate people um to educate people into um into thinking that yes sex is not something that a woman gives sex is a two-way street sex is something sex is a negotiation between two two or more partners (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know like people are not um people in porn aren't, aren't necessarily like um aren't necessarily sending that message but there are some but in terms of progress, there are some like studios and content creators who do focus on porn that is um, that is ethical yes. and kind of feminist 
or kind of like more geared towards sensuality. And um, so there's a lot of like cuddling, a lot of, you know, slow, slow movements. And, you know, like with companies like Abby Winters, like the, mm-hmm. um, the porn, um, their amateur porn actors are getting paid very well. And, you know, like consent is gone over, got, like consent is like negotiated several times during the process. And you don't, right. you know, you don't see that in porn, like, you know, with Mia Khalifa coming out saying that she was exploited, like that happens to so many people in porn and in sex mm-hmm. work in general. So I totally. feel like, you know, like as sex workers, we do have a responsibility to teach people like what, you know, like how, like, like how beautiful and powerful sex is. Um, and I feel like we should be, ta- um, we should, you know, take that opportunity, I feel. So I, I try to do yeah. that with my own work, um, but obviously I won't try to impose on other sex workers if, you know, like some sex workers are just here to do their job and that's fine. So, yeah. but yeah, like, that's totally I was given fine. a platform, I'll use, that's how I'll use it. Yes. If I may just hijack. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. In line with that, I guess, with what everyone's been saying, you know, I'm going to try to flip the table also when it comes to education. Um, I think that we should take the time that we have now to educate ourselves also, most of all, you know, because um, everything is available now online and time zones are, are a freaking social construct. We could all be in the same room and people are from Vancouver or Italy or, you know, or china even Mm -hmm. and now is the time for us to uh, um, learn more about one another and even network gain more friends in the industry band together and because we have similar concerns across the globe you know so now is the time for us to come together and open up these discussions you know educate ourselves go to workshops in paris okay at like 3 a.m because (laughs) Because now is the time that we can be connected, even through this mm-hmm. festival. So yes, yeah, yeah I think steps. solidarity, like among sex workers, is very crucial. Like if we want, if we want, like concrete changes to how the sex industry is run, we need, we you know, we need to listen to each other, and we need to be there yeah. for each other. Um, yeah, exactly. One hundred percent. Yeah, and again, as as Joanne said. This is why the Sugar and Sex Festival exists. <laughs> why we're all here today. As you say, because it's such a good opportunity to be able to learn and also to break down these borders because, you know, there, I love sugar and sex. We do. <laughs> Just read a comment here. Sugar and sex, yes. But because, like, you know, there were borders before, there were restrictions before where we couldn't be as connected right so this is yeah and this is why this this festival exists too this is such a good uh, opportunity for all of us to learn so and also to educate as well so i guess lastly for me um this is why i started my podcast because not only did i think that one statement that my client said that oh you know strippers stripping culture is cool i kind of just held on to that and i wanted to know why he thought that as as he was a non-sex worker, um, kind of looking in to this world, I say that quote unquote, um, 
I thought it was really interesting. And I felt like there was a lot of stories there. There were a lot of experiences too, as sex workers, that um, our stories are not always told or they're not told in the right capacity or someone else is always telling our stories for us, making assumptions. Yeah, yeah. yeah like what society tells <laughs> us, what the media tells us. So I think it was important for me to really shine light on sex workers and what we actually do in our own words, on our own terms. So it's, otherwise it's, it's a kind of like a, a missed opportunity, I would say, because there's always a lot to learn from all sides, not just from service providers, but also from our clients, people that work with us too. We all work kind of hand in hand. So in order to better understand each other, we really have to ask questions. We really ha need to have more discussions and conversations like this. So it's kind of great. I mean, there's a silver lining in terms of COVID <laughs> in terms of the pandemic um, that, you know, it's closed physical borders, but it's also opened up our networks in this way so yeah, yeah. <laughs> spread the love spread not the, the love, virus not the virus <laughs> i guess um yeah did you guys have any other last minute notes there before we kind of open it up to some questions if anyone has any other questions or top points i know there were some questions earlier in the chat there's so yeah. many questions. There's so many good questions. Like, who wants to go into it? Let me see. If, like, whoa, notification 37. Oh my god. So, uh, Martha, Martha asked a question here. I actually copy pasted it in my notes, and it says, "How do you deal with all the frustration of sex work, social media blocking, police, clients, and do you have emotional support, supervision, coaching?" How to optimize your time, expertise, etc. Blacklist clients. Mm -hmm. um, so Ooh, with me, I just um, I I got all my social media accounts deactivated just recently. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> so I actually had to start all over again, and then I, like those friends who I know, at least my Facebook, I still couldn't access it. Weirdly enough, I can still be in touch through Messenger, but I couldn't access my accounts. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so just getting friends to help you with like <laughs> adding you and then with the, the police clients, how do you deal with the frustration of sex work, police clients? I don't know with the, the police part, but with clients, um, I think I mentioned it earlier on, I make them go through like a gatekeeping I have. So I usually require like a reference. Um, so if, you know, um, I, I asked them to give me a contact of a provider that they, they, they went to, and then I would email that provider to check in if they're safe and, you know, if they're respectful and stuff and if they have any warnings regarding them. So I do that. That's one. And then um, I also require a deposit. So it's either mm -hmm. or. So I require a deposit. Like if they're serious, they're going to give me the deposit. If they're yeah. not serious, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... Uh, time like, wasters. <laughs> yeah. So, so many time wasters. I, I have to deal with a lot of time wasters. I actually even had a couple guys email me on my 
um, provider account like sending me Bible verses. <laughs> you know, like oh Jesus God. loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus has a plan for you. Yeah, I get a lot yeah. of that. <laughs> and then I, I what what I usually tell them is, yeah, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. He's cool. You know, he he has like Mary Magdalene on his side. You know, and they're you know he he's very respectful of his her body and gives her autonomy of her body. I like Jesus. <laughs> I would say something like that. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's that, and then emotional support. Um, with the escort community, I know there's like clumps of little communities that exist. So we, we basically have like encrypted um, apps again that we, we, we are all part of. Like we, we all got, it's like, um, I, I don't know if you, you guys in the Philippines have it, like the WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. So we have yeah. like, like a, an encrypted version of WhatsApp that we all connect to. And um, so... Um, we actually have like blacklists of people, gray lists, and then they, they tell you, like they, they provide the name and um, phone number and why they're gray lists or why they're blacklist, what they did, what how, how they violated a provider kind of thing. So, and, right. and I'm, yeah, so we have that. And I, I'm really grateful to be part of one of this little clump because it's very mm-hmm. helpful. And, you know, and they, they also have like... Um, uh, rooms in those encrypted programs where they um, like for mentorship. So if you have questions in relation to the industry, um, you can just basically ask it and then the girls will give you recommendations, you know. Yeah, okay. so just being part of that community is very helpful for me, especially because I'm such a newcomer in this um, escort Space. kind of work, you know. Totally. Yeah, and even in stripping, you know, we have like, you know, groups that we're part of. There's like Facebook groups and there's WhatsApp group. And that's also mm-hmm. very helpful. So that's how we connect with each other and, you know, help each other out, support each other. And um, with me, I, I do seek out coaching. You know, it's it's always nice to have someone to talk to from a third party perspective. And just because there's so much load too that you know, I need to unpack, you know, like talking about cultural programming with this right. uh, coaches and like having to just express yourself all the guilt, you know, that uh, religion. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about you guys? <laughs> also like Salome and also uh, Naomi, how do you guys cope with sex work and clients and policing and censorship? <laughs> I am for a therapist and I just wanted to put that out there because I think we like a lot of people advocate for like going to therapy but I just think like as a sex worker having a a sex work friendly therapist that was recommended to me by my friend who's a sex worker just really helped me because she can kind of like piece together like my life because she knows all about like my personal life and my working life also and she doesn't even really advise me but she kind of like makes things clearer for me mm-hmm. and also my friends yay yes. of course it's have a support network yeah <laughs> like Jolene already said about, about like friends and stuff so I just want to throw in like my therapist 
Oh my gosh. And also <laughs> I need to recommend this book. Every yeah. read it. It's called Thriving in Sex Work by Lola Davina. Oh, I love her. I love <laughs> her. <laughs> she's, she's wonderful. <laughs> it's so good. It's actually, I experienced it as an audiobook and it was like the it's just an amazing book. It will help you. Every sex worker, no matter your gender, no matter like the type of sex work you do, like no matter who you are, it's written to be very inclusive. Like everyone should read or listen to that book. So yeah. I'm writing that down. <laughs> Thank you. I'll DM you again, Naomi. <laughs> Salome, how do you cope? <laughs> um... <laughs> There we go again with laughing with trauma. Like, <laughs> uh, um, like before I got on, before I signed on to this panel, like I actually showed uh, stuff, uh, a podcast that I did with like DJ Tony Tony and um, Dr. Rika Cruz. And Dr. Rika Cruz actually is my therapist. Uh, like, oh, uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, like like what um, Naomi said, it's really important that you find a therapist. Um, like if you are dealing dealing with mental health issues, it's important that you find a therapist who is sex positive, and also sex work positive. Because you you know like sometimes those two don't go hand in hand. Like people can be like very sex positive but still be dismissive of sex work. Totally. Um, and you know you would find that all over like the all over the medical industry. Um, you like you know, so. So yeah, that that is very important to me. Like it's important that she knows that um the issues that sex workers go through, like issues with um like issues with like for me, like I have really bad body dysmorphia and she helps me deal with that. Because like because like especially when you are in like virtual sex work, you are like bombarded by all of these images of what you are supposed to look like as a sex right. worker. And it's so honestly so oppressive because it because um because I look so different from that ideal, so I need mm -hmm. therapists to cope um to help me cope through that, um because like the the industry is very like fat phobic, very racist, very you know transphobic <laughs> also. So you know it's it's difficult. Um, but I think the most important thing aside from ther um aside from therapy is that I always need to remind myself that I am in this because I consider sex work as a creative endeavor. And my mm -hmm. background is in art. Um, I graduated um, with a degree in fine art. And, um, you know, I get to, and my, I also have like a background in social media and I get to apply those creative disciplines to my work right now. Um, totally. So when I get frustrated, I always think that, hey, it's always like as an artist, it's always like a blessing. It's always a joy to be able to create something that people can see, that people can consume, that people can masturbate to. You know what I mean? Like, yes. <laughs> so, so that, that is very fulfilling for me. And I, all, I have to keep reminding myself of that. Um, Great. So, yeah. <laughs> Also, there's another question. Just look at the chat, too. There's one from Naomi here. Um, you spoke about learning communication strategies and how to relate to people in general, besides in your profession. So can you elaborate a bit more and share some stories, please? Naomi, that's for you. I don't know if I can really share stories per se, but I will make a few points. First of all, sex work 
in general, like, taught me about how to assert my boundaries. And I don't really think you need really stories for that. Because that's something that, like, I'm, I'm learning every day, like, assert my boundaries, assert my boundaries all the time, like, in romantic relationships with, with family, even, like, with my friendships, you know, I find when I'm, like, you know, talking to too many strip club patrons, sometimes it can be draining and I get Mm -hmm. burnt out. So then I have to like, be like, Hey, like, we can't talk about this. I don't like it when you talk to me like that. And then I apply that to my personal relationships. Also, this is a new one. And this is something that I've um, discovered from doing my outreach job, working with women on the street. And it's kind of like giving people the space to express themselves and holding space for them to express their negative emotions or like erratic or frantic emotions like if someone is like um you know i say something and someone takes it really personal and they want to be rude and clap back I think a former, like, baby stripper me would be like, oh, well, screw you, blah, blah, blah. But I think now I'm learning both in my outreach job and in my sex work job and in personal relationships to be like, okay, like, they just really need to be angry. Like, they just really need someone to be rude to. And I'm just the person that's there for it. And it's not necessarily good to, you know, you can't hold that space all the time. Like, I don't always have that capacity, but to be able to have like a little buffer zone where you can just detach from things and not take things so fucking personally is really valuable in learning how to just like not react. And so that's like a sex work thing and an outreach thing. And even something that I talk about with, with like my, my therapist, my counselor, and even something like on a physiological level I talk about with like my chiropractor like just having that that buffer of like not reacting so I hope that answers that question and if anyone if we have time like people can say their perspective yeah um who wants to go into it we got a few minutes left here (laughs) I want to add on to that like uh with me um before I was a stripper I I felt like I didn't really have any boundaries and it actually Mm. like now that uh, Naomi brought that up I actually um I know my first couple months as a stripper I did take things personally when I when when clients say like oh I don't like your teachers are not big enough or you're too ugly for me oh you're you know And and I would just like I was so sensitive when I started oh my god I was so sensitive I would like cry and leave the the club because I'm like oh I'm ugly <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> Wait, do strippers regularly experience that? Like yeah, constantly. Like oh yeah, all no. the time. One hundred percent. You get told you're <laughs> ugly in your face all the no. time, and so I actually learned how to put that buffer. I'm glad that yeah, Naomi, thank you, Naomi, for bringing that up. I learned to not take it personally. Like oh okay, yeah. like you, you know. can't, you can't yeah, take things so, personally. So. <laughs> It, yeah, the industry did help me learn how to have that buffer to be more tougher, not take things personally. And I think I'm very grateful for that lesson for me. And then I was able to pass it on with my other, you know, um, 
sex work and divorce. So, yeah. I didn't know that. that. Yeah. Now I don't want to be a shitty. stripper anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you I mean, do. do Dancing is so fun. I love it. Yeah, I love it too. It's so much fun. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's different for we all have like a place where we fit in, and that's the beauty of doing sex work is you can do whatever you want, and there's so many options. Yeah. Um, did anyone else have anything else to add? Last minute notes here, takeaways. <laughs> or I think we're all good. <laughs> well, thank you guys. guys that was a blast. I can't believe happened. you made it. Like two hours of talking. <laughs> but again, it's, it's it feels like 15 minutes. <laughs> I know. And I could probably still talk, keep talking about this. So, <laughs> but I want to thank uh, the panelists here. So, uh, Salome Salvi. We also have Jolene Salonga, Naomi Vice. I'll say Joanne too. <laughs> you really contributed a lot to the conversation. Oh yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> so, um, and also another big thank you to Martha Lee, Dr. Martha Lee, for putting on the Sugar and Sex Festival and all the organizers. Thank you again for approaching us to be speaking on the topic of sex work within the Asian lens and being the token Asian. So hope you guys all enjoyed the discussion and conversation. Uh, I guess we'll get a, give a chance to put our handles out there if you want to reach out. Again, I'm Steph Sia, Sia Steph, or Strip by Sia, which is my podcast on Instagram. All my links are there. Uh, Jolene, you want to go next? Um, all my um, links are in allmylinks.com forward slash pocket phoenix. Um, I don't know if I can just write it down. <laughs> For everyone to see in here. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So I'll I'll do that. So it's like pocket and you know, pocket bulsa in Filipino. <laughs> and then the firebird phoenix. Salome. <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> uh all across all platforms like many vids, OnlyFans. Many vids OnlyFans is my girl Pornhub. Um and I have other platforms. Avian Stars, yes. Um, I, <laughs> but most importantly, the OnlyFans. My OnlyFans is Salome Salvi, S A L O M E S A L V I. Um, on Instagram, I got suspended. So, like, <laughs> so my Instagram is Salome Salvi MP4. Um, cool. So, yeah. There you go. Naomi? I am Naomi? on Instagram, Twitter, and OnlyFans as Naomi X Vice. Like a vice, like something bad. I <laughs> 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 right. love that. I so, like how you said that. That was perfect. That's a damn bad. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again. This wraps up the Token Asian. Uh, talk about race and sex work at the Sugar and Spice Sex Festival 2020. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Sleeping time for us.
You're listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellandorama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Davern. Yeah. <laughs>